Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because in some respects maybe that's what made it easier for me to go to abroad because I was always kind of working um, through these different cultural differences from my childhood and where I grew up to then moving sometimes by myself to places that are quite different and then it kind of made it just easier to go to go abroad. It was like a stepping stone perhaps. Welcome to the Crossing It Off podcast, where each episode we share the stories of individuals that are living out their bucket slash life goal lists. I am your host, Roger Williams, and through hearing our guests' adventures, my goal is that you will find encouragement and empowerment to add and cross items off of your list. Everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to be here with you today. Uh, I am actually doing a live person-to-person uh, -person interview for the first time, so I hope you give us some grace with that. And I am here with Angie Starn. Hi. Hi, Angie. And Angie describes herself. She's a cyclist. She loves riding her bike. She uh, is, a, is a lover of change. She's an early riser and a digital nomad. Angie, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's good to be here. It's going to be fun to talk to you. Yeah. Guys. So tell us, what did you cross off your list? So I crossed off getting citizenship in a foreign country. So making a life outside of the United States, okay. where I'm originally from. Okay. So you're from the States. And what was it um, early on? Like, if you go back and you remember, like, was it, was it high school? Was it college? What was it that time that you said, um, I'm going to leave here? What is interesting is when I was in junior high, a, a teacher asked us where we were going to study university. And for some reason, I said I was going to go to Paris. Mm. I probably couldn't have even pointed Paris out on the map. <laughs> uh, and then when I did go to university, I spent a summer abroad and okay. I came to the UK. And then at some point, I had an obsession with traveling. And I think that came from uh, enjoy wanting to experience something new. And at the time I was working with, and so because I didn't have the money to do it, to travel, oh, I started yeah. working with refugees. Okay. And I did that as a way to experience other cultures. So if I couldn't travel, then I thought I could learn about things by working with populations that had come to the United States. And where did you, this was after university and after college, so where did you do that in the States? Yeah, so I started doing that in Cleveland, Ohio, okay. uh, which I, I lived there for six years. And I worked with um, some Hmong refugees who I helped them speak, learn English. And it was, it was fascinating. They would, I'd get to experience their culture, the food. The kids all were very young but speak, spoke perfect English. And it was usually the, the grannies that were at home with them that I would then uh, work with to teach them. And if we had challenges, then we would go to the kids. And so I continued to do that in uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and then eventually decided to get a master's in it and came to the UK to get that. So you, you did wind up coming over here. And so was there, why, why the United Kingdom? Why Great Britain? So, okay, so originally when I was living in Cleveland, I had decided I wanted to move. And I thought I would try Central America. And so I went to Costa Rica and Guatemala with the idea that if I got a job, I'd stay. And if I didn't, I'd move to San Francisco. Uh, and as it turned out, I ended up coming back to the U.S. and moved to San Francisco. Uh, while I was there, uh, my 
now husband, boyfriend at the time, got transferred to San Francisco. And I was still thinking of ways to get abroad. And his company needed somebody in the in London. And fortunately, my company also had an office here. So we both got transferred. At this point, decided that you wanted to make a complete life. Like there's a difference between working with refugees and, and having a trap, what I would call travel bug in you that says, I want to go visit other places. But what was, what happened to make you say, okay, I'm going to start building a new life here? Well, really that's the only way to do it. So if you want to live and work and be able to pay the rent, then you start really getting into the community and the culture. And so at work, uh, I met people that were actually from all over the world. But also while I was living in London, it was a wonderful place to be able to fulfill my passion for travel. So it was very easy to get to see other countries. Uh, And it was really kind of that combination of wanting to travel, but also needing to support myself while I was living abroad. Was (laughs) your boyfriend, husband, was he in that same place of saying, okay, uh, we're going to make a new life and we're, and we're not going to go back to the States? Or what, what, was, what was that dynamic like between the two of you as far as trying to figure out what those next steps would look like? I, I think it was really just trying to advance our careers. So I had always told him, oh, you're in a profession. It's more likely that they're going to transfer you than me get transferred. So I was always very supportive of any of those opportunities <laughs> that came around. And he probably looked at it as more of a, an interesting experience. And for both of us, work is very interesting. When you work outside of your home country, the people you meet, the different sure. um, customs, uh, you learn a lot. And so for both of us, work became that much more stimulating. So a lot of it was we're young, we're trying to build our careers, but we could still do it alongside of this idea of living abroad um, and then not uh, feel like we're falling back on um, really just being able to pay the rent and still work toward promotions. So at this point, what was your family, your friends, you know, people you went to college with or, or your family back home? Was Were they like, this is a phase, she'll come back, she'll, you know, or how did they respond to you when you were like, we're going? I think they didn't really take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, they couldn't understand why anybody would want to live someplace else, perhaps, or that maybe they couldn't quite get their head around it. And, you know, this is going back to the 90s. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't actually a time, perhaps, when as many people were traveling abroad. Um, so I'm not sure if they really made the connection. How did you How did you respond to that mentality or that mindset that they had about it? How did that affect you and how did you communicate with them in that? It was much easier to move because actually mm-hmm. I'm going very far away. Mm-hmm. I never really lived close to my family anyways, because as soon as I graduated university, I moved to California. So I was already used to that distance. Uh, and then I think for them not taking it too seriously or not really having a strong opinion about it made it much easier okay. for me to go someplace so much further away. What was what were some of the similarities between being in LA and family life, family back where you were from and being in the UK? relationships was were they was it about the same for you or was it more strained because of the distance um it was pretty much about the same and also those areas uh in terms of countries abroad or even within the u.s are all very different whereas like 
where my family's coming from is middle America. And I'm moving to California, I lived in San Francisco and LA, and then going abroad and then always having this passion for travel. Um, probably going abroad and California seemed more aligned with what somebody would do versus coming from middle America where, where most of my peers had never been outside of the state or outside of Yeah, there's massive the cultural differences between the Midwest there's and a, California, just like there probably are between the Midwest and the UK. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because in some respects, maybe that's what made it easier for me to go to abroad because I was always kind of working um, through these different cultural differences from my childhood and where I grew up to then moving sometimes by myself to places that are quite different. And then it kind of made it just easier to go to go abroad. It was like a stepping stone, perhaps, um, traveling outside of um, Indiana and going to California and then making yeah. my way to the UK. And so, okay, so, so it's easy to make that transition of going, but then once you get there, how is it, what are some of the things that you went through in that process of acclimating, acclimating yourself to a new culture or what were some of the things that like took, took you back? Like, cause, cause LA is still different than the UK. So what were some of the things that, that like you had to adjust to when you got here? Well, what made the adjustment really easy is I kind of became the perpetual tourist. So it was really fun. Every weekend was, there was something new to explore. Yeah, I'm in a different country in a different city, unlike any place I've ever been. So there was always, I could catch the train and go someplace. My husband and I, there was a group that would go walking and you'd meet them at the train station and then go outside of London and go walking. Just walking around the city and looking at the architecture or the people or hearing the accents. It was also fresh and new that it was really fun and really exciting, which I guess is a distraction from maybe thinking too much about cultural differences or being far away from home. Uh, it was so stimulating that it really was quite a natural process. You already had that separation stages from being in LA, so that kind of probably prepared you to be here and be separated from family, so that helped a little bit. Yeah, it did. They, what did kind of change things is when we moved to the UK the first time, uh, we got married and I got pregnant and we had our son, Max. Uh, and so when you have a baby, things are very different. And that, because. Uh, because you're thinking about family and how far away they are from family. And we didn't know anybody else with kids at the time. Um, and I didn't have anybody really to go to if I ever needed some support. Sure. And then you start thinking differently. Uh, and so then at that point, time there was the Arthur Anderson collapse and my husband's company was saying we need you back here mm -hmm. and at, and then it was a really it was a major life decision do we move back for a promotion and to be closer to family or do we stay here at that point you hadn't gotten citizenship yet, correct? We, we didn't have citizenship and we also didn't have indefinite leave to remain uh, our companies had sponsored us to come over and work which meant that we really couldn't work anyplace else than where we were working at the time. Right, right. Uh, and so when we decided to come to the U.S., I will say, when I was on the plane returning back, I was already feeling like I wanted to get back to the U.K. and I hadn't even touched down in San Francisco. I moved from the Midwest to Seattle, and I have had that same experience of going back home. You know, I went out to Seattle a couple times to like visit start networking and those kind of things and when I would go back to Indiana before I moved out I'd be like 
it's just not home anymore. It's like, you know, I want to be this other place. Yeah, you'll hear people talk about, and I hear a lot of it in my circles, is something called reverse culture shock. Mm. And so I've got so acclimated to a lifestyle in the UK that when I came back to the US, um, uh, the culture was, I kind of was, it literally is a shock to the system where things that I'd gotten accustomed to in the UK weren't available to me in the US. All right, and, what, what are some of those things? Well, I ride public transportation, mm-hmm. I don't drive. Okay. And so even in San Francisco, which has a decent public transportation network, I had a buggy with a baby and the bus wouldn't let me didn't have a way for me to get onto the bus. Mm. Uh, and then of course, taxi cabs there couldn't accommodate, um, they could accommodate the, the buggy, but it was a big thing. Like here, you have your buggy and the taxis, you actually can literally roll your buggy yes, into the taxi huge. with the kid. Oh, the, back doors are huge. the buses, they come down low, right. so you can get the baby in, in well, the well, transport. You do have to mind the gap in the tube. You do have to mind the gap in the tube. Um, but there are ways to work around it. And I did put on a baby Bjorn for my tube travel. Uh, and then there, there were just kind of lots of nuances like that, that I could feel the friction. And so when we got back, um, I went back to work at my company and I was looking at how we could get back to the UK ever since. Right away. Yeah. Um, and then that did take about six years And during that period, I was watching the rules uh, in terms of how we could get back to work. And they were getting stricter and stricter. And I was telling my husband that he seemed to think we'll always be able to apply for a highly skilled skilled migrant worker visa or something. And I thought that's going to get harder and harder. Yes. Has it? And it definitely has. So when we came back, that was me because I wanted to get a master's degree. And I found, and I got accepted into a program in the UK. Uh, And what that meant is that then we could come over and I would get the visa to work. Mm -hmm. And then after that visa, I would be able to stay and get a job. Um, In that time period, my husband did apply for a highly skilled migrant worker visa, which he did get. However, when he first applied to it, he made an error (laughs) and had to resubmit it. Um, if you kind of fast forward a couple years, they had changed those rules. So had he applied for his visa, had he gotten that visa a day later, he would not have been able to stay stay in the UK. So on the highly skilled migrant worker visa, once it it's once it expires, at you used to be able to renew it, um, but now you're not able to. And it was the same thing with my master's degree. So I was the last graduating class that was able to stay and get a job without being sponsored. Okay. Now, when you come to a UK university from okay. abroad, you will need to be sponsored if you want to stay and work. And so the rules have progressively gotten straight harder and we've watched them. In fact, the first time we lived here, if you lived here for three years, you would get indefinitely to remain, which meant that you could live and work. And if your child's born here, then, um, if you had indefinitely remained, then your child would get citizenship. But because we only stayed two wow. years, that rule has now changed to five years. So, so Max, your son, was not a UK citizen when he was born. That's right. So when he was born here, wow. he was not so automatically different. a UK citizen. However, when we moved back and my husband, who was on a 
stronger visa than I was because I was on a student visa and he was on a different category visa. When he was here five years, he got indefinitely to remain. And once he got indefinitely to remain, our son was then able to get his British citizenship. Because he's under 18. Yes. And then my husband had to wait two more years before he could apply for British citizenship. I actually had to move on to his original visa. So I could start accumulating time to citizenship. And now we all have British citizenship. So was it? So was it something? Was the citizenship always the goal? I mean, was it? Was that always the thing that you were, that you were looking to check off? Like even from the first time you came to the UK, was were you all thinking we're going to become citizens here? That's that's the end goal of this. I think once we understood how difficult it would be to make a living uh, and to give our family some security. It went from indefinitely, indefinite leave to remain is good, um, but you can never leave the country when you get indefinitely leave to remain. You can leave the country, but you can't leave for an extended period of time. Okay. So if our family got ill or we got transferred, we decided to take an opportunity someplace okay. else, it would be very difficult to come back and we'd have to start all over again. Yeah. And the rules have gotten so strict, the reality of doing that would be very difficult. And at this point, our son now is very much rooted in British society. And so, and then in terms of buying a home and settling, it's a bit risky if you do that without either indefinitely trimming or British, citizen, British citizenship. So then the ultimate goal always became, we need to get citizenship um, as a family, as an individual, and then also for our son. And when you say do, um, British citizenship, you carry dual citizenship, do you not? I do. Okay. And, and how does that affect anything that's going on as far as travel for you? Or I know you, you mentioned that getting your British passport was, was difficult. Was, was that because of the dual citizenship? Or? Um, a dual citizenship is very interesting. And this is why I'm, you need, really need to be committed if you want to live abroad. Because it's very expensive. It takes a lot of patience. Um, there is a bit of risk that you won't get it. Um, but also we pay taxes in both countries. And so there is an added, still. we still do. Wow. So any American who lives abroad has to pay, you have, it's, it's so complicated, but um, you do, we still pay taxes in both countries. Now there's a way to equalize it. So you're not worse off. Right. So you're um, not paying full amounts for. So I'm not paying places. full for the U.S. and full for right. here. But the, if you can imagine how much more expensive it is to then file taxes in both places and how complicated it is. Right. Oh, yeah. And we would do that for the rest of our lives unless we renounce huge. our yeah. American citizenship. So there's a lot of, if you want to live abroad and you want to stay in the UK especially, you have to really be committed. Um, but then, you know, when you think about your children and our child, this is what he knows. It, it would be culture shock for him to go back to the U.S. What's the one thing that you're grateful for about the U.K. that you wouldn't have had in the States? Uh, there's a lot of things. <laughs> um, one is I, I do, where I live, because I can cycle commute and I can take tra- public transport and I don't have to have a car. Uh, but the other thing also is now I have my own business. And so I was able to resign and very easily start a business without worrying about health care, which um, for my husband and I, when we think about long term, in some ways it would be very difficult to go back to the U.S. 
because it, that would mean maybe going back without a job, having to be tied to a job for the health insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a risk now that we're getting older that that uh, sure. puts on us. So, you know, being here, that's a great thing to have. I don't want to say that, you know, life is life is more than health insurance yes. and it should be. Um, but that does, as we're getting older, we do think about that. Yeah, it's a consideration. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody wanted to do this, yep. what would be the, like the one thing you would say, okay, if you're going to do this, you have to X, how do you finish that question? You have to believe it's possible because even I will, I, even I will say it is difficult and you have to be committed. And actually there's no rules that actually allow you to come mm-hmm. with that said, everybody I know who has sincerely wanted to live abroad, they've made it happen. So I would say, don't let other people say it's impossible. Don't get discouraged if you look at the rules and you can't see a way in. I think if you kind of live your life with this idea of what you want, and some of your choices may need to think, could that lead to this? Does that position me for that? Mm -hmm. Um, Have I saved enough to just do this? Somehow, everybody I know has made it happen legally. Right. And I think that's the other thing I would say. Um, don't try to do it okay. illegally. <laughs> don't don't overextend a visa right. because you will get dinged. Um, countries are very serious it about it now. It, it, will it, it will make it harder. It will make it worse. Sure. Um, and so I think my main two pieces of advice is to not believe the naysayers. Just believe you can make it happen. Um, and then also don't violate any rules to make it happen. What's the, if, if you think back through this process, what's the one thing that you um, are grateful for having done this on the backside of it? What's the one thing that you would be like, I'm so glad I did this because I get to whatever. I think there's something very exciting about living outside of your home country. And then just the, knowing that you were able to do it. Uh, and knowing that you can still make connections wherever you're at. Um, and that actually there's more similarities between all of us than there are differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's possible to live anywhere in the world. What's the one thing you've personally gained from this experience? Like, What's, the, what's like the philosophy or the thought the, the mindset that you have walked away from this process I think honestly if you really want to do something if you really believe in something with some patience and perseverance it will happen um, there's really no reason why I should be able to be living here now mm-hmm. um, I'm from Indiana uh, the the way that the rules have always changed how did I have the resources between my husband and I, um, the two of us being able to find ways to get visas, having companies that brought us over here. Um, it's all actually quite a mystery that it happened, which I think is super encouraging because it, again, it makes me think that if there's something that's important to you or that you want in some mysterious way, it can come together. Uh, 
But then also now, this is as long as I've ever lived any place. Mm-hmm. I have local friends who it's not a transient area where we live who will be here probably forever. Um, and so it's really nice to actually finally have roots. Mm. That's not to say I wouldn't be open to <laughs> living someplace else, especially now that I have my British citizenship, I can always come back. Right. There you go. So I'll ask you one of my last questions then is what's next on your, this is that you want to cross off your bucket list. Yeah. So on my, I have a hard time now thinking of things to put on my bucket list. And I think because what I'm discovering is that they find me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, one quick example is a couple years ago, I ended up doing a Wim Hof retreat in Poland and it's completely changed my outlook and what I do in life. Um, that's the cold swimming. Mm-hmm. And so now I have no problem. I swim in, uh, I love swimming in the sea here and the sea is very cold, sure. but also I've gotten much more comfortable with discomfort. And, and that has made life more interesting. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that now I think if I'm living my life fully, the things are finding me. And, and you had to start at that point of having this item that you wanted to cross off and it led to that for you? In terms of, for example, having the bucket list to live abroad? Right. Yeah, so I have always, up until a certain time I've always had a checklist of things mm-hmm. that were important to me that I wanted to achieve and I have journals and I used to write them in journals and if I go back I can see that I've done them but I think that always gave me my North Star and my direction uh, and then we kind of discover more about ourselves get more confident and get to a place where eventually uh, it's more about the journey now than the destination Awesome. Angie, is there something you want to share as far as uh, how people can learn more about what you do in your professional life or other stuff that you might have going on you want to share with them? Uh, Well, I would say that if people are interested in living abroad, uh, they are welcome to DM me. My social media account is The Runyon Project. Okay. If they'd like to DM me there and maybe I could give them some form of encouragement. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you putting that out there. We will make sure it gets in the show notes and so that people have a direct link to it. Angie, thank you so much for being here with us. I appreciate this whole conversation. It's been wonderful being in your home, hanging out with you for the day and getting to hear the story. And I, I know it's going to impact other people. I appreciate your time. Well, good. I hope people find some content in there that maybe helps them pursue whatever it is, whether it's tri- traveling abroad or another bucket list. Thank you. As a reminder to our listeners, in this episode's show notes, you will find links to learn more about this week's guests and information on how you can cross this item off of your list. You can follow my adventures of crossing items off my bucket list on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, new episodes of this podcast are available to stream every Friday morning. We will meet you here next week. And until then, keep living out your list. Listener.